0: The Professional's Choice. Alright guys, so welcome back first of all. So on this podcast, it's gonna be a shorter one, but I'm gonna take you on a bit of a deep dive into a problem I had with an environmental chamber that wasn't keeping temp. Okay, it's it's set for minus 23 degrees C, but it was only maintaining minus 19.5 degrees C all right now the problem which i found was a bad or defective rapid cycle solenoid valve so a rapid cycle solenoid valve is different from a regular valve and when you look at the literature um, the pdf that you can download online if, if you google that there's a, a, a pdf that or like a white paper or whatever you want to call it that that google spits back you can download it and read up on it from spoiling and It says right in there, it might be in that one or it might be in a different one, because I read a bunch of different um, pieces of literature on this valve, that they are usually used on environmental chambers. Now this was an environmental chamber. Same size as like a a reach-in household refrigerator, but it's minus 23, it it stores um, expensive important products for a pharmaceutical process so it's very important that we find out what's wrong with it and fix it and get it going properly so that's what we're going to do we're going to talk about what was wrong with it how we fixed it and rapid cycle solenoid valves and guys if you're not into refrigeration at all don't worry because i'm going to explain this sort of the best way i can the most basic way i can so you guys can understand what i'm talking about because this This problem not only relates to solenoid valves, but any type of valve in a system that could potentially be bypassing internally, and we'll talk about that during the episode. Let's get into that right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. All right, so the call came in, and I respond, and I get there, and the freezer is alarming every once in a while. And I'm sitting in a, uh, right now, I'm just sitting in a, uh, <laughs> right outside of the building. I'm, I'm having my break and my coffee doing this. So if you hear some honking and rumbling trucks in the background, hey man, that's just, that's just, that's just how it is, right? Cause I'm rolling on the job site, taking my break, trying to get this info out. So respond to the call, right? And the thing is, it's around minus 15. So I shut it off pull the lid off the top where the evaporator coil is, and there's a there's a bunch of ice on it, so I'm in a habit now of with any of these chambers is defrosting them right to nothing, so there's no ice right, and then starting from scratch from a defrosted unit so that's what I did, I defrosted it down plugged it back in, ran it uh, came back the next day and it was at minus 19.5 that's as low as it would get okay, so the owner or the department um, that is responsible for this freezer printed off a trend log. This is why trend logs are extremely important if you can get them because they're information. And I looked at the trend log and something stood out at me big time, all right? So much so that I probably could have just diagnosed the problem from the trend log. And I had a discussion with my coworker as well and told him what the trend log showed. And he's like, yep, that's what it is. And he was in agreement with me. So what the trend log showed was, it shows the, the, the not the set point, but the actual temperature of the freezer. Okay. It shows it coming down to that, and then it shows it spiking during a defrost. So it was maintaining between minus 20-ish and minus 18. It was running around there. Okay. Normally, before before the 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 call happened so the reason they called me in is because they had a spike so the spike is in direct correlation with a defrost cycle so what happened was it, it it was cooling it was at its minus 20 or whatever and then it went into defrost it started to raise like the graph had shown trend log had shown but the spike kept going kept going it got its shit together, for lack of a better term, and once it did, it was running two degrees higher. It was maintaining um, like minus nineteen point five to minus seventeen point five in that range. Now, what changed? What changed? The only thing that you could see changing on that trend log was a defrost cycle. Now, a lot of a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's the charge," but. If if there was a problem with the charge, you would actually be able to see a gradual decline in box temp. Okay, not a sudden decline in box temp, unless it sprung a leak suddenly, right, and lost a bunch of gas. But it didn't. It didn't spring a leak suddenly or lose a bunch of gas. That's not what happened. So this is a hot gas defrost. Uh, basically, it uses hot gas like discharge gas and reroutes it through the evaporator to melt any ice. And in between the discharge line and the evaporator is a solenoid valve. Okay, so that solenoid valve during refrigeration mode is closed. That hot gas is not moving through that valve. During defrost, that valve opens up and the hot gas is diverted through that evaporator to melt all the ice. That's how hot gas defrost works. It also has a little uh, heating element in there. It's like a two-stage defrost where the heating element is used and the hot gas is used as well to, to get all the ice off. And then there's two cutout points. There's a cutout point for the, the hot gas defrost and a cutout point for the heating element defrost cutout. Okay? And they're set at different temperatures for the cutout. So that valve closed. Okay, The trend log we're we're, we're, run, we're running smooth we go into defrost the valve closes we're back into refrigeration mode but we're running two degrees higher. Why? Well my idea was looking at that trend log well it doesn't look like the the, the, the defrost solenoid closed all the way. It looks like it's it's leaking or bypassing a little bit of hot gas through there still. If we leak a little bit of hot gas through, What's going to happen is we're going to raise the evaporator temperature. We raise the evaporator temperature, the box temperature is going to raise along with it. So that was my thought. Luckily, beside it, there was another freezer, identical, identical, right? So what I, what I wanted to do was gauge the, the line entering the solenoid, the discharge line teed off entering the solenoid on the one that was running properly. I did that. Okay, and it was uh, around 90 degrees, okay, because it's close to that solenoid. It's not really pure discharge line because it's teed off and it's by the solenoid. So it's not as hot as the actual line before the tee. So it was at 90 degrees, okay. So I went to the one that had the problem, measured the same thing with my Testo Smart Probe, my my wireless Smart Probe, and it was at around, I think it was 84.5. It was cooler. Now, why is it cooler? Because we're giving up heat from that line to the the evaporator side, which is on the other side of the solenoid coil. So we're giving up heat. Where are we giving up the heat to? Well, it's got to be moving through that solenoid, right? And it makes sense because energy transfers from one to the other. So basically, we've given up heat from the discharge side, but we're gaining it on the evaporator side because we had the higher box temperature, higher evaporator temperature. So... The trend log and the readings I took told me so. I didn't put gauges on this system, by the way. Okay. Um, 13.5 ounces of 404A. I didn't want to put gauges on. And I wasn't convinced it was a charge issue. Not convinced whatsoever it was a charge issue because I did not see that sort of decline in temperature over time. I saw a spike out of nowhere right after a defrost. Okay. So didn't put gauges on. Use my temp probes and I use the trend log to troubleshoot it. And like I said, when I told my coworker who has been in the industry now for thirty plus years, right away he agreed. I didn't actually. He didn't agree with me. I asked him what he thought, and he said it was the uh, probably the defrost solenoid. And I'm like, yep, agreed. Let's move on. Let's let's either replace the solenoid or get the the correct parts to fix it. So. This thing doesn't have a lot of space, okay? I called about a brand-new solenoid. It was, like, four weeks away because nobody had one in stock. So my next best bet is to order a rebuild kit, right? So I was lucky. lucky, Luckily enough, there was two in stock um, 45 minutes away. No big deal. One of the apprentices went and grabbed it, okay? Um but that was probably the better, there goes my phone, <laughs> that was probably the better choice. Because, listen, I didn't have a lot of space. And there's wiring everywhere and brazing in that little tight space was probably not a good idea. Removing the gas, taking the top off the solenoid, because just a um, it's just a nut, right? You loosen the nut, you can take it off. You can remove the the guts out of it and replace them. So that's what I did, I recovered the, the gas, okay? um, took the guts out, and I didn't just take them out and throw them in the garbage, I inspected them. Okay? And, and What I found was, is that the plunger, basically, which is the, 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 the thing that moves up and down within the, the tube, the inner tube, um, that plunger was going goes up and down, and, and when that plunger drops, it's got a little needle on it, and there's a seat. That needle sits in that seat. So if that needle and seat are not are not mating properly, we can have bypass. So what I found was is that seat was almost like a Teflon material. Had rings and indentations in it on the old one. The new one didn't have those rings and ind- indentations. So that showed me where. The other thing that I found that was that just popped out at me is that that needle had an indentation around it. Like almost like uh, somebody had carved a circle around the entire thing so it wasn't true anymore so if we, have, if we have that needle that's not true anymore and it's got that indentation and we got this seat now that's got these imperfections in it well now when it goes to mate it's not mating 100% it's not sealing 100% so 100% we can have bypassing hot gas through that that bypassing hot gas is going to raise our evaporator temperature is going to raise our box temperature and cause all all kinds of problems so man, my phone's going nuts so I took I took the new parts I put them in alright, sealed it back up pulled the vacuum and then I weighed in the charge now, the way I did it this time was I, I percent percent of the time i do not pull a vacuum through gauges and i wasn't going to this time i i might it, let's just say i don't do it okay let's just let's say hundred percent now i never pull a vacuum through gauges anymore because of the potential uh restrictions leak points um the hoses are not rated for evacuation so on and so forth so i i pulled a, a, an evacuation with one three-eighths hose using my battery navac pump Okay, and it ran for 25 minutes to 35 minutes, somewhere in that range. And we got it down to where we needed to be, below 500 microns. And I did not use gauges at all to charge the thing up. What I did was is I took one single hose from the tank to the suction side of the, the system. So once my evacuation was done, I had the hose purged, Okay, stuck it on the unit, zeroed the scale and weighed in the charge from that point you guys got to remember if you don't put if you you got you got to purge the hose first of all so you don't put air back in that system but you're going to want to zero your scale after you purge the hose because you have gas leaving that tank or or liquid leaving that tank however you're charging it and and what happens is that little bit leaving is going to um, decrease the tank weight so On a critically charged system like this, you're going to want to purge the hose first and then zero your scale. So that's what I did. Purge the hose, zero the scale, attach it to the system, and then opened up my ball valve on my hose, and I weighed in exactly 13.5 ounces of 404A. I didn't use gauges at all. Took my hose off, put the caps back on, put some nylog on the caps, blah, 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 um, and started the thing up. And this particular box takes a long time to come down the temperature, probably about four hours or so. The first, so let's say we're at room temperature, right? We're at like min, uh, we're at like 22 degrees C. So 22 to zero, zero to minus 10 takes like 45 minutes, but the rest of it takes a long time. So part of the process of 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 fixing it is to hang out and watch it run because during, during that time something could happen and if you're not there to monitor or observe it then you're going to miss it and you might not be able to rectify that issue if there is an issue right but I was confident in not using gauges because I, I knew I pulled a good vacuum and I was putting the factory charge back in it I didn't change any of the components okay um, because I didn't need to I changed the guts I didn't change the dryer either and there's a, a very valid reason why I didn't change the dryer. Anytime you open up a system, you should change the dryer. The system was opened up for literally a minute and a half. And during that minute and a half, I had I had refrigerant boiling out of the oil still. And you can actually see, you could actually see it rising up through the valve body. So no air and moisture was getting in because I had a slight positive pressure moving outwards. Okay, I've done this before, changing like low pressure switches, high pressure switches, and stuff, where you can pull enough gas out to the point where it's still under a slight positive, like barely anything. You change that switch, and you can charge it back up without pulling a vacuum. You got to be very, very careful, though. Okay, you got to be very, very careful. And reason being is because you're not introducing um, outside ambient air or moisture to the system because it's still under a positive. It's pushing out. It's not. It's not. Equalized to the atmosphere so that's what i did and change the dryer I didn't have to change the charge nothing like that so let it run come back the next day and now the machine now, now we can see the trend log from the way it was running for the 12 hours overnight compared to the way it was running before it was actually running better it was actually getting down to like minus 22 now okay um even though it's set for minus 23 that's on the actual machine itself it's got a set point but they use a system that is wireless that basically corresponds or it, it, it communicates back to um, a program where they can monitor temperature so there's there's the the controller for the unit and then a monitoring site they use that is separate to that so the two temperatures don't always match even though it says minus 23 on the box Their monitoring system, the sensor is in a different location due to what they call mapping. They put it in the worst location possible. So sometimes they don't always read the same. But anyway, we had a difference between how it was running normally before and how it was running normally now. It was actually running colder now, so it looked like for some time we had a bit of bypassing going on. So if you ever come across an issue with an, an elevated EVAP temp, and it has hot gas defrost you could have a leak or a bypass through that solenoid coil Okay. Um, same with a, an air conditioning system if, if you see on the off cycle a rise in pressure quickly after it pumps down and shuts off that solenoid valve could be leaking through right causing that thing to uh, rapidly cycle on and off if it has a recycling pump down but anyway, that's the call. That's how I fixed it. Um, took it apart, looked at it, and, and, and I distinguished the differences between a new one and an old one with the the defects, the indentations, whatever you want to call them, and and moved on from there, right? So the one beside it, we're actually going to schedule a time to shut it down over the next month and a half or so and change that one because they're both the same age, okay? So we're going to change it as a as a preventative maintenance measure because I told them it's it's just a matter of time before it happens to this one too and it's a nice little job nice little job not too hard um it's actually pretty cool working on on these things and and learning but anyway I'm going to tell you a little bit about the rapid cycle solenoid valve as well right quick break guys so if you guys aren't using the Danfoss ref tools app I I think you need to just for one reason one reason being the the refrigerant slider app is amazing best refrigerant or PT chart you're gonna use in the field 100% it is Um, there's added features of this app because they've combined a bunch of them and one of them I was just using is the the product finder now what you do is once you you go into the app you're going to have the refrigerant slider there in your face you back out out of that okay you go to the product finder and there's a bunch of different product categories and you just click on them and it just brings you further and further uh, down the rabbit hole to find the product you want for instance I, I did it with filter dryers so it clicked on filter dryers and it says burnout dryers click on that and then a list of burnout dryers populates so you can pick and choose which ones you need or want it's very easy took like literally like 15 seconds to get into the list of filter dryers or less so check that out, it's the RefTools app, that's the product finder, it's the new uh, part of that RefTools app that combines all of those apps in one. Another app you guys need to be on is the Blue On app if, or not on, but you need to download it to be part of that community because what they're doing with that app is incredible. Tech support 24-7, 2 minute wait time but you gotta do it through the app Okay, uh, the other thing they're doing with the app is access to 35,000 unit manuals. They got 30, every time I check, there's a, a, a new number. Last time I checked, I think there was 25,000. Now there's 35,000 unit manuals on there. So if you're working on a specific unit, you need some info, you have the BlueOn app. You just go to that manual and you can read about it. It's very simple because the way they've categorized it. Okay, it's, it's very simple to search up. Um, TDX20 is their refrigerant, R458A, for conversion, uh, converting from R22 to, to TDX20. So this is what they're doing with their app and their products. Well worth the download, guys, if you haven't already. The other thing I want to talk about is Interplay Learning. Fabulous virtual training platform. And with COVID-19... Hitting these days, a lot of schools are actually implementing or thinking about implementing their services to train their students because it's virtual. You can get a you can do it with a virtual headset if you want VR. Um, they've they've been working with manufacturers. Manufacturers are implementing training programs through Interplay Learning so they can train their their technicians as well. So check out Interplay Learning InterplayLearning.com guys for more info. Twenty dollars a tech you can go through the the skill mill is what they call it and better yourself as a technician true tech tools guys as always save eight percent on your purchases except for Fluke or fleer at checkout using code know it all and one last thing guys um i posted a video of fix quick online and um somebody said what's wrong with brazing and i said well what's wrong nothing's wrong with brazing but what's wrong with alternatives to brazing and knowing how to use them and where to use them. So, fix quick is basically a, a, a two um, two step two step uh, I, I, I guess it's a two step procedure, right? And you basically paint on. liquid and then you use an accelerator uh, it's a powder and what that does is is it cures and they say after 20 minutes I think it's good up to about 700 psi or something like that I tested it I got a YouTube video on it and it works it worked for me up to about 400 psi so anyway guys let's get back to learning about solenoid valves all right so rapid cycle solenoid valves there is a bulletin out by Sporlin if interested the number is 230-10-1 written february 2005 okay it looks like it was uh, it looks like it supersedes the april 2000 version this this latest version here so it's a really good pdf lots of info uh, it's got diagrams of a standard and a rapid cycle beside each other it's got construction It's got operation, it's got some charts with capacity and type of refrigerant and all that kind of good stuff, okay? So what I'm going to do here is just read you some information off of this PDF as it pertains to construction and how it's different, okay? And I I want to read it because I just don't want to mess anything up here that might be said and give you the wrong information. So it says, when comparing a rapid cycle valve with a standard valve, several design changes can be observed. The changes that increase the life cycle are as follows. So we are trying to increase the life cycle of the valve by making these changes, okay? So first point, enclosing tube. The enclosing tube is extended and the enclosing tube magnetic top plug is eliminated. This design changes the direction of the magnetic pull on the plunger before it hits the top of the enclosing tube. All right, plunger, next one. A hammer blow plunger replaces a standard plunger and is used to assist in lifting the plunger stem off the pilot port. To further de- decrease the force of impact between the plunger and the enclosing tube, a synthetic bumper is added to the top of the plunger. Now, when I took the existing solenoid valve apart, you can actually see that synthetic material um, at the top, and it's being used as a bumper. Okay. Um, next, the coil. This is the model of the coil. An OMKC coil is used to allow the coil to sit further down on the enclosing tube. This slows the plunger once it accelerates across the center line. Alright, so the enclosing tube is longer. Okay, The plunger is a different style, which has a bumper on it. And the coil style is different, which is allowed to sit further down the enclosing tube. This slows down the pull, or, or the force of that. Uh, plunger moving. So I guess those design factors are, are put into this to increase the life cycle because they call it rapid cycle. Now who, who knows how many times it's going to be cycling for this specific one here it cycles six times per day okay 365 days per year. So you do the math that's a lot of cycles and over the course of three four years that's a lot so there's, there's going to be wear and tear on these valves okay because of the amount of times it's opening and closing over a course of time so these design factors help the longevity of the valve okay and just keep in mind that nothing's perfect eventually there's gonna be wear and tear and eventually you're gonna have to change them and and maybe doing a quick baseline of what what the evap temp is now if you're using hot gas defrost compared to what it is the next time you go back or the next time you go back so you can kinda get an indication that hey maybe that solenoid is starting to leak or bypass by luckily for me I had these trend logs to look at it. because without them it would have been a lot harder to diagnose anyway guys i hope you enjoyed that the information that i uh, i just passed along to you i just learned this myself so i learned it with you guys um you guys want to if you guys want to reach out to me you can through instagram facebook um gary at hvac know it is my email address as well if you have any questions on on the on the call or if you want me to clarify anything that that I've said during this, reach out by all means. Okay, anyway, guys, I'm out. i be HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.